Hey, peace and blessings to you. My name is Jerry B. I am the Entree Musician, and so are you. And I got to tell you, you are in for a real treat because my guest tonight is someone who's been on before. I highly, highly respect him and recommend him. And also, we're becoming good friends, and I can tell you why. I can tell you why we're becoming good friends, because I can poke fun at him, and he still returns my call. So, I mean, you know, what could you possibly say, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> this it. This is none other than entertainment attorney and musician. That's what I love about him. This is Attorney John Shield, frowning counselor. How are you, my friend? I'm wonderful. Thanks so much for having me on your program. It's an honor to be here, and it's always an honor to work with you. You do great things in this community, and I, I really appreciate you. So thanks for all that you do. Well, I say the same thing about you, man. As a matter of fact, I want to start from the latest thing that you have going on. You have started a mentoring program. Is that right? That's right. Yes. You got you to tell us about it, man. Come on. So here's the thing. Music lawyers are expensive. Lawyers are ex legal fees are expensive, but artists are often. Let's just say they don't have as much money in their pocket as, as they would like. Right. Cool. Uh, I'm not going to say that they're starving or they're broke because I don't think that <laughs> real artists should starve, but right. it it's hard for an entertainer or musician to budget for a $400 an hour counselor to join their team. That's, that's a significant expense. So in 12 years of practicing law, I have found that if I can find ways to provide services to folks for cheaper, then uh, that's, that's always appreciated. And so many musicians would benefit from having a little bit more business and legal knowledge about the business. So I created what's called the Music Business Mentorship, and it's musicbusinessmentorship.com. There are mm -hmm. courses coaching program, and a free podcast, all designed to help people level up in this industry. Excellent. Excellent. How long has it been now? Has it been less, it's a little less than a year, right? Well, so the very first class I did, I, I was a part of an online class during the pandemic. And the very first class that I launched was actually in late 2020, because I realized how many people were coming to this class. It, it was it was an online course and there were about 275 people. And every time an instructor would speak, they would try to answer a contract question or a legal question. And they would hem and haw and say, I'm not a lawyer, but this is how I do it. And so I kept, you know, pointing to my degree or my license and like waving, you know. And so I was finally uh, doing too many like free sessions for everybody in the class. So I created the first round of classes all live on Zoom in late 2020. And I've since done one full uh, eight-week class, and then I created a 10-week class, and now my class is actually a 12-week course. Uh, but it's really 12 modules because it's hosted on Kajabi, and you can kind of work at your own pace. But we have live Zooms, and we have a Facebook group, um, and it's all designed to provide a lot of free entry points to to get, you know, information. And then um, if we're actually working one-on-one -on, -one on your projects, then it's either through a coaching program or a course that you pay for. So it's about yeah. three years old now, but it's taken a while to kind of percolate into its current form. And the podcast is very, very new. That's, that's less than a year old. Wow. So, 
Wow. Well, I, I need to uh, put that in my uh, gym workout. I listen to a lot of podcasts when I work out, so I have to get yours. I, I must admit I'm a little naive on, on that front of yours. I'm always following you on Facebook and making fun of you, but, you know, I, I didn't know <laughs> you were doing, doing the podcast. In my, family, in my family, if you're not teased, then you might not be loved. So, you know, it's it's a thing. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, there you go. You know, I love you. And I, I mean this wholeheartedly because I have really been referring your name to different musicians uh, that I've come in contact with, especially, I mean, obviously, I will say I'm not a, an attorney, but I know someone you could call or someone you can check out. You know, I want to ask another question about the mentoring course, though, because then what does enrollment look like if someone wants to, if they're hearing this podcast or watching and they want to enroll, how do they get in touch with you just through um, Jazz Liga or through mentoring? Yeah. So musicbusinessmentorship.com is the, is the pathway for all of that. You can okay. click on the website in the store button and there's a coaching program package. There is a, a course um, and there's some one-on-one -on -one consultations that are all available through musicbusinessmentorship.com. And there's also links to all of the podcast episodes that are out now and there will be more coming soon. We're in production on a whole bunch of them. We've got several in the can, uh, but we're, we're working on getting them so that they're video and audio, and you can find those on Spotify. Uh, it's Music Business Mentorship. And you can find us on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, there is a Facebook group that's free to join. And so we have about 500 people or so that are in there, 520. Uh, and we go live every Wednesday. And if you want to join that live Zoom, uh, you just click on Music Business Mentorship. On the very first button you come to on the page, it says join us. And then you'll enter your email. You'll get a link to the Zoom and you can jump in the call and we can talk about your music business anytime. Wednesdays, 3 p.m. Eastern or noon Pacific. Absolutely beautiful, man. Well, thank you for sharing. I trust and pray that you'll get many, 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 many more students because it's all about education. And the way the music business is changing, the industry is changing like daily, I think, you know, so you need to be up on point. I think I asked you this question. Uh, you were recently on our sister show, Artist Impact, and uh, I asked you about the need in this ever-changing industry for entertainment attorneys. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask you a very transparent question since we laid the groundwork with that one. Is the field of entertainment law shrinking because of the streaming situation or is it growing? Why do you feel, and I know you're not going to be biased, I know you're going to speak as a musician, do you feel musicians still need that legal expertise, even though they're jumping on Spotify, they're clicking the red accept button, and they're uploading their music? Well, the truth is that the biggest problem with the music industry is that people are not approaching it from the standpoint of a business. They are simply trying to get famous or they're trying to increase their streaming numbers. And those are what I like to call vanity metrics. And if you listen to one of my podcasts, one of my clients and very good friends, Emmeline, is on there and she talks about vanity metrics throughout the program. And so it's become a buzzword of ours where we talk about vanity metrics as the number of followers you have on social media or on streaming networks, those don't pay your bills. And so the biggest problem is that people don't understand how to write a business plan and to plan 
the business side of the music business. And most of that relies on copyright law, contract law. So it's the law is the skeleton of the entertainment business. And I don't see the business shrinking. There's a lot of room for growth in the entertainment world. For example, I think you're going to see that in 2024, more vinyl records are sold than any uh, time in the past five years. I think that people are recognizing that having a physical product at their shows to sign and to, to engage with the fans, plus it's a collectible, it's not easily shipped, it's, it's something you kind of have to show up to get. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of vinyl sold, and I think there's going to be a lot of ways that people can diversify their income streams as a musician from performances to lessons to online courses that they can teach. Um, it, there's just an infinite opportunity to make a living being a creative individual. And that's really what having a law firm for intellectual property and creatives is all about. It's my job to help you translate all your ambition and your creativity into an income stream. So I, I think there's plenty of room for growth in that. That's very good. Very good. Now, since we brought up the uh, dastardly name of uh, Spotify, you know, recently all of the conversation was about the choice that they make. And they can make whatever choice they want. It's their company. But if you have a thousand streams or less, you know, uh, you're not going to get paid. Uh, is there uh, some legal issues involved with them making that decision or it's just that's their company? That's it? What do you think? Well, fun fundamentally, there's a problem legally with anyone performing your music without paying for it. So fundamentally, you're granted a bundle of rights every time you register your works with the U.S. Copyright Office. And copyright is inherent in a work the moment exactly. it's set in fixed yeah. form. So, you know, if you are if you are a creator, then someone else is making money off of your creations and they're not paying you. That's infringement. That's a problem. So fundamentally, there's a problem with the whole streaming world. But are you going to sue a multi-billion dollar multinational corporation and expect to have a good result? It's probably going to be very difficult if you're a small time creator with less than a thousand streams and you're fighting over pennies or fractions of pennies per stream. It just doesn't make much sense. And people are voluntarily uploading their stuff and they're just voluntarily saying, hey, infringe upon my copyright. So, yes, there's a problem, but it's really more of an industry-wide problem. And it's exacerbated by the rise of additional social media platforms where people can run right out to TikTok or YouTube or Instagram or wherever and give away their intellectual property for free. It's very difficult. <laughs> But what I stress as a lawyer is that there is a pathway to monetizing your creative output and you have to do it strategically and you have to do it through the right channels and you have to use the copyright system in order to protect yourself and then license your works. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a huge problem. And, mm -hmm. you know, that you saw people rebelling against it, like the band Wolfpack had Sleepify. They released this silent album until the algorithm caught on. And, but they made like $25,000 before they got shut down right. on doing that. You know, a 10, 10 song album of silent songs, play it on repeat. They told all their fans to play it on repeat. I mean, right. that's clever, 
That's clever. And I think there will be a lot of creative ways that people can cleverly game the system, but you got to be yeah. really careful with that stuff. And I, I'll say this as a caveat, there are uh, mills uh, and I say the word mill, but it's like a farm where people, you know, in Asia, and I'll just leave that continent open. I'm not going to say yeah. which country I don't want to accuse anybody, but there are, there are folks in the world who have, you know, hundreds of cell phones that are set up that are doing automatic swipes and likes and, and plays in order to generate artificial streams. And that will get you kicked off and it will get you muted and it will, it will ban you from the service. So you don't mm -hmm. want to do that. You don't want to mm -hmm. pay for artificial bots to Correct. pump up numbers. Uh, that's that's a bad way to go. But I think that if you are focused on a career in music and you're focused on developing a relationship with your fans, that there is a tribe of people out there who love you. And if you can get a thousand of them together or a thousand of them in the world, you can have a career. And so I really think that if you're focused on that relationship with your tribe, there's a tribe of people that love you and you just might not have met all of them yet. Absolutely. 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 In fact, um, you know, I was thinking about future videos uh, that I'm, I'm planning from the entrepreneur musician standpoint. And one was asking the question, do you want to go higher or do you want to go deeper? <laughs> you know, do you want to go further? Because you can go higher, you know, for visibility or as you said already with the, the metrics, you know, but, you know, if you want to go deeper, there are better ways to do it. So, you know, yeah. you got to really I carefully. I agree with that. I really do. I think that people are craving authenticity and they are craving a relationship and they're, everyone wants to feel like they've been seen and heard. Yeah. And just think about how, look at on a huge level, right? There was a week or two ago, Taylor Swift was at a football game and she gave a young fan her scarf. You know, yeah. she was high-fiving fans. When fans feel like they have been seen and they they receive the love that you have for them and they, they turn around and give it right back. I mean, and if you're creating pathways for them to give you love by buying something on your merch table or in your Shopify store on your website, then they're supporting you and you've got to turn around and love on them right back. And that relationship will feed you for a lifetime. Absolutely. So I, I think if you are focused on that, focus on fan engagement, focused on daily sales, focus on ways that you can create revenue through daily sales, yeah. uh, then I think you'll hit all your financial goals and you don't have to be a starving artist. You can be a, a wealthy artist, even if you have a small fan base. You're right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I want to say one more thing about Spotify, and I'll preface it by saying I read the article yesterday intending to bring it and have it before me today, and my day just hasn't turned out that way. But the article was written on January 30th. The uh, contract with um, MCA Universal and Spotify, no, I'm sorry, TikTok was going to expire on the 31st. Uh, do you have knowledge of, of that article and some of the complaints that? Universal was making against it. I did. So I read the open letter that Universal sent out, and That's I've great. also heard quite a bit of the scuttlebutt as to what's going on there. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that Universal is using their leverage in order to get a better deal with yeah. TikTok. 
and they want to have more control over TikTok. If you look back a few years when Spotify was just running rampant with copyright infringement and no labels had signed on yet, um, they were just saying, look, it's good for you. It's good for your artists. We're not making money yet. We're in debt, but yeah. let us just keep going and, and don't sue us you know, now, wait, wait, wait. And then the record labels were like, no, 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 you're starting to make money. We want a piece of that. And the only way they could really cut a deal was to give the labels a part ownership of Spotify. So yeah. Spotify is now largely owned by the biggest labels on earth. Cool. And really that's what they're pushing for is how much control, how much leverage. It's really all just a power play between yeah. the two. I think you will see universal artists will be right back on TikTok very mm. soon. But in the meantime, what an opportunity. That chaos amongst, you know, the the elephants, the giants of the of the music world creates a lot of opportunity for us little guys because now where's the music going to come from? Independent creators, people who are not signed to Universal. So yeah. get out there and get on TikTok, but but Make sure that you're registered with your PROs. Make sure That's you're right. registered. Make sure you, you've copyrighted your stuff. Um, yeah. Sometimes people get on me about copyright. They say, well, it's so expensive. But if you can get 10 songs for $85 Come on. with the, yeah. the sound recording and the underlying work all for the same fee, That's right. then really it's $8.50 per song. And you can't even file a copyright claim in the federal court unless you're registered. Yes. And if you're not registered... And you discover someone has infringed upon you, and then you go to seek some sort of damages. You've given up the right to sue for attorney's fees and statutory damages. Now, we talked about what an attorney costs. 400 an hour is what Donald Passman says is the basic, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the basic yeah. amount for any decent music lawyer is going to charge 400 an hour. That's and correct. I guarantee you, if you go to L.A., New York, or Nashville, you're going to be paying more per hour than 400 an hour. Definitely. Um, yeah. So... Rather than spending good money to file, register your stuff so that you're not actually chasing attorney's fees after the infringement because you can't get a court to award them, right? And there was a little blip there, so I'm, I, yeah. I hope you caught all that. But the two things, statutory damages and attorney's fees, will make or break your case. Because if you have to spend good money to go after bad, it's a bad business decision. If you have to spend $100,000 and you're only going to get 10000 are you going to file that claim? Probably not. Okay. But That's if right. you, if you uh, also think about infringement, if a willful infringement occurs, it can be up to $150,000 awarded by the judge for the willful infringement. So that's a significant amount of money that you're leaving on the table if you wait to copyright right. after you found the infringement. Right. So what I would encourage people is to make it a part of your regular business process. Just mm -hmm. like you're going to register with ASCAP or BMI. You're going to register with Sound Exchange. That's right. You're register with the Mechanical Licensing Collective. You got to register with Harry Fox Agency and Music mm -hmm. Reports. Mm -hmm. Those are the five that you need to register with to collect all the royalties that you can get. Yeah. Um, and there may be some others that come out there in the future, but those five will cover your bases for the United States and most of the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. um, and you can do that yourself as a self-administered publisher and self-administered songwriter. But rather than chasing uh, you know, infringement stuff after the fact, add to your plan that you're going to register your works as soon as you have 10 final mix and masters. Uh, 
do that. That's a good preventative measure. And I know there are going to be people who say, well, it costs so much money. I could just run to Spotify and upload it for free. Well, you can do that, but that's not good business practice. So, And you're not being an entree musician. Trust me. <laughs> if you're just doing that. There it is. Just not. There it is. Yeah. You know, that's, that's interesting. I had two things. You, you, you're saying things, and this is why I, hi- I highly respect you, man. I, you know, look. Let me say let me say this publicly. My nose is brown enough. I don't have to kiss butt. I don't have to say anything that I don't mean. Okay. So straight up, man, I really respect uh what you say. That's why I keep inviting you on. You always have juice to share with us. But you 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 said something with respect to TikTok. I remember being um in a marketing class and uh they were talking about, you know, because I wasn't on TikTok, you know, uh I'd been sporadic. And so the instructor online was saying, well, this is what you want to do. And you want to get this. You want to make sure that you're getting this popular music that you're putting underneath, even if you're turning the volume down, because that's going to trip up the algorithms and whatnot. You know, and it's interesting because me being me, I'm always trying to look underneath the hood of things to find out what else is going on. What else can I learn? And I found out that my band, Sound Doctrine, who, you know, we've registered everything and whatnot, but our music while it may not be in the popular category, it's still on the list of music that you can use. And why not pay myself? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If I'm exactly. going to do this little video, why not use your own? So that's something that you can consider. That's, that's one thing. What do, you, what do you think about that, even though it's not like tricking the algorithm or whatever? I think it's important that you use your music. I think it's important you get your music out there in any way I do think that TikTok is a is a level or a great leveling of the playing field because it's allowing people to rise to fame and prominence that it's a new avenue that folks can get to fame and prominence. I do think that it's becoming more mature of a social media site. So I think that the algorithm is going to start leveling off. I think it, the rise to fame, the rapid pop yeah. of people rising to fame is going to start to taper off a little bit. I think it's going to become, you know, people are going to start looking around and say, I don't like TikTok. I'm going to go on the next big thing. Um, but it will stick around for a long time because it's been hugely successful. And I think you're going to start to see more older folks and more legacy artists jumping on. You're just now seeing big famous people creating a TikTok. Uh, and they're saying, I never did it before, but here I am. This is my first TikTok. You're going to start to see more and more of legacy artists and legacy brands and people with some power start to leverage TikTok in the way that Facebook and Instagram became mature and became, you know, Facebook is for like now the old people, right? But yeah, thank you. there are. <laughs> there are still there are still creators who are utilizing it really really effectively and i sure. i think that it's important to understand all of the different ones but understand that you're not going to get your music on tiktok if it's not going through a distributor like distrokid tunecore cd baby any yeah. of the official distribution channels right. um and those those folks have done deals with TikTok, you know, if and if you're not on the three that I just mentioned, you might be on Symphonic or The Orchard or any of those others that that are a little bit more aimed at the indie labels and the record company. Uh, they're not quite aimed at the you know initial consumer. There's they they have deals with TikTok as well, so they're right. trying to push their stuff, and everybody's trying to get onto the platform 
And you, you know, what I will say is that there are other avenues to create fans than just that, because the algorithms for LinkedIn are now focusing on pushing creators in a way that they hadn't been previously. So you're going to see that there's a bit of an arbitrage to use a fancy word where your efforts go a little bit further on certain platforms than on others. And LinkedIn right, right now is a great spot for creators. Right. Uh, right. So if, if you don't have a, a profile there, you should, should consider it. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn far more than I am on TikTok and just maybe 60, 40 on Facebook. And I have found that LinkedIn has is a very viable networking. I mean, people actually want to have conversation there. So it's not just, oh, look how many views, look how many likes and how many comments. There are real connections that are being, that are being established on LinkedIn, and I'm grateful for it. You know? Yeah, I think I it's important. Question on the TikTok universal thing. And, I, you know, again, just looking under the hood, I don't know the answer to this. Um, I'm only speculating. But why do you think the open letter came out on the 30th if the deal was up on the 31st? Could they not have, like, talked about this or given the larger community a little more access, say, on the 15th or the 10th of January? Why the 24-hour thing? What, what is that about? Uh, it's, it's very simple. If the deal is almost up and they don't have a renegotiated deal, then they're going to pull out all the stops and, and leverage the, the power of the public and news media and uh. pressure that that builds to say, mm -hmm. Hey, we were able to reach a deal. They didn't wait until the fifth. <laughs> they did it the day before that the deal expired and it exactly. was a way to suddenly bring massive amounts of pressure on ByteDance or whoever is in control of TikTok right now to try to, to say, hey, you want us on TikTok and yeah. the public wants us on TikTok. And so you notice that it wasn't done in like a, an article in the Wall Street Journal or in a trade magazine. It was a public open letter to all the fans of music everywhere. Right, TikTok right. is the bad guy. Go yell at TikTok because we're pulling Taylor Swift off of TikTok because right. they're not. And then they're trying to say, oh, we're we're trying to be more fair for all artists. Well, if the end result is that there's more fairness for all artists, then I'm happy to see that. But I don't think that the I don't think on, that's baby. top. Come on, what, what, what can you say? What can you say on this platform that you're trying to suppress right now? What is it? Uh, <laughs> I let see me it. say, I see it. If, if Taylor Swift were to, were to say something publicly that she was arguing on behalf of all creators, I trust and respect her to the point where I would believe that that's truly her motivation. Mm -hmm. If there's mm -hmm. a little bit of self-benefit there, then, then she's, that's, she's entitled to that. She doesn't have to put everybody else above herself. But if Warner Brothers or Universal or Sony or any of the big dogs say, oh, we're looking out for the little guy, I take that with a huge grain of salt. They're looking out for their bottom line first. And then if it helps someone else, okay, great. But that's not, 
that's not what this is about. This is, this is about them. I mean, come on. They're a for-profit company. They've got shareholders. Right. <laughs> they're not thinking about the little artists out there. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Thank you, brother. Thank you. <laughs> I saw it in there, man. We just had to pull it out just a little bit. But now switching, switching um, stagecoaches here for a minute. But one of one of the first reasons I asked you on, and this has been a couple years now, but there was this huge conversation on NFTs and Bitcoin as it related to artists. And twice I had you come on with a gentleman, um, Death Beach, I think is his name. And with respect to that, there was a great amount of weight that you you kind of grounded the rest of us, but and and in in all due respects, I haven't talked to Deaf Beach since then. I will invite him back on, but it seems like the conversation has quelled, and you let about that there was going to be some leverage after a couple of years. What's going on with the conversation from your vantage point? Well, there are a lot of folks who are sort of late to the game in getting involved in, in NFTs that are now saying, oh, NFTs are dead. They are gone. They're out, out, of, out of style, out of commission. Nobody go to NFTs. But I truly believe that the technology of, of the blockchain is still in its infancy. And I do believe that creating digital collectibles that are hard-coded in a way to be protected in a way that a song or a, you know, a stream is not, I think that it opens some serious opportunities for artists. And I think that having a non-fungible token, it is a unique, it's not fungible. I think the idea is, is still very viable. And I think that if you're creating unique digital collectibles for your fans that cannot be reproduced and devalued, then I do think that the, that's a real powerful thing for an independent artist. I think that it's still possible to create something that can have some lasting impact and value. But I want, and this I said right when we talked about it the first time, I think I talked about there being a shakeup in the market and there would be a shakeup. And, yeah. and when the rest of the world is saying, oh, this has no value, what have you done to create the value between yourself and your fans? So if your non-fungible token gets you an access code to your clubhouse or a special access code to your virtual reality world, well, yeah. then that, that could still hold a lot of value. Um, it depends on what you've done to spruce up your virtual world. You know, exactly. if I, if I had a condo in Miami and anyone who bought my NFTs got the door code and could come in and party with me anytime, well, that would still have some value because I would be restocking the bar and I'd be, right. you know, making sure that there's great tunes on the jukebox and I'd be playing the latest video games with folks and I'd be there and I'd be providing that value. But it sort of depends on the artist providing that value. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I think there's still value in non-fungible tokens, NFTs. I think that between cryptocurrency having some upheavals in the marketplace, you still see things like exchange-traded funds are now approved by the SEC. So now everybody from Robinhood to Fidelity Investments to 
whoever, they're now selling shares in EFT traded funds, exchange traded ETFs, exchange traded funds that are based on NFTs. Does that make sense? Uh, they're, they're, or on, uh, they're based on cryptocurrency, not NFTs. But cryptocurrency is now traded in a secondary market that has no friction. Like I can go buy shares in a stock just as easily as I can buy shares in an exchange traded fund that trades in Bitcoin. I'm not buying the Bitcoin. I'm buying the fund that tracks the, the Bitcoin marketplace, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. So it's moving, it's moving forward and, and it will become easier for people. And, and then as an artist, if you're using that digital collectible as something to sell as your merch, well, then make sure you're providing a lot of value to your fans and then it will still retain value. Understood. Well, that's, that's a great perspective, great vantage point. Obviously, that's what I was trying to get at. I do have a question with respect to, I know that you and your daughter uh, were doing things in the metaverse. Is that still happening? Are you still very vibrant? Oh, well, you have to understand, kids' tastes change so rapidly, but <laughs> she still has a Roblox account, and we are still building houses in, in Roblox, she, although her focus is now on getting, you know, good grades in high school, a gotcha. little bit more than going in Roblox. <laughs> but Roblox is a perfect example of, of a metaverse, and, and mm -hmm. you will see stuff like that come up. And um, I, I'll have to show you at some point. Um, it's pretty cool, my house that I built. I, I yeah. built it, started building it when, uh, when Eddie Van Halen passed away, and I only used red, white, and black for all the accents, oh. all, all the design, and Pretty cool. So <laughs> come join my Roblox party. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll pack my luggage and, and hang out for a week or two. <laughs> right. now, now, we've talked about all of the legal stuff, man. But, I, you know, but what really um, endears me to you is the fact that you're a musician. Let's talk about John, the musician, and what's going on in your musical world. What's happening? Well, I, I gig every week as a sound man. That's, that's really what I still do most. Uh, I haven't really performed live in quite a while. I, I led a 10-piece band all the way up until the start of the pandemic. But at that point, uh, when we had to take a big hiatus due to live performance shutting down, my band was a mentoring project that I started that had folks who were young people, much younger than myself, uh, some were still in high school, some were in college um, at University of Cincinnati's College Conservatory of Music, and some were still in, you know, doing private lessons through a, a company called School of Rock. So maybe you've seen the movie with Jack Black. Well, we had a real School of Rock uh, band, so to speak. All these folks were uh, all stars uh, and all stars have to audition multiple times in order to get into that level. But it was a band of young people. And it was it was a weekly live house band at a venue that I was running and I would perform with this 10 piece band and we would do everything from Steely Dan to Stevie Wonder to Stevie Nicks uh, to uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, we even did some Beyonce and some Bruno Mars and we were what you might imagine um, a young up and coming like wedding corporate event type cover band and we might start the evening with some jazz and move into some rock and then the second set always had the four piece horn section. So it was a 10 piece band and I played guitar, sometimes bass. I would always be singing or emceeing or playing a variety of different instruments. 
right now I'm taking piano lessons and you can't see this, but there's a piano just to my left. So I, someone gave me a piano for the office and I was always kind of a crap keyboard player. So now I'm, now I'm really, really learning it and I I'm super excited about it. I'm learning a whole new level of, of music theory that I always kind of understood from being a guitar player, bass player, sax player, but now I'm, I'm really kind of getting it under my fingers in a different way. And man, it's just so exciting. It's such an exciting time. But if you see me on a gig on social media, it's likely that I'm behind the soundboard and I've been doing that for a long, long time. So I, I get, I get good gigs. Uh, I work with a lot of great people and uh, I'm only always impressed when, when I get to work with uh, Grammy award winners, but I've mixed quite a few of them now. And um, mm. so I, I'm a, I'm a go-to first call sound guy in, in our region. And I, I do that pretty frequently and I love it. I just love it. So. So, so why, why the frowns again? We might as well talk about the frowns. <laughs> Well, I was going to suggest we talk about licensing music to uh, Netflix because I do have a song. One of my songs is is on a Netflix show, Love is Blind, Thanks. but I love you and that's not Thanks. blind. And you're seeing, you're seeing my, my mustache covers up my smile a lot of times is really what's happening. However, <laughs> running sound, I always would take a photo with the screen, uh, you know, in, in the background, and I don't know if you can see this, but when I would hold it up, I'd be so focused on where the camera was that mm -hmm. I just had resting, resting boy face is what I'll say. RBM. <laughs> and um, so it looks like I'm really upset, but really I'm just focused on making sure that the background looks good because I'm trying to get the stage in the background. So, and I'll tell you, it started when I was tour managing, I was on the road with a band and every sound check, I would take a photo of the stage and the, the band would sort of jump around and make funny faces in the background. Like, and they kind of caught on that I would take a shot and post. Oh my goodness. It would just get funnier and funnier in the background. But meanwhile, I was keeping the same face because right. the guitar player in the band said, you need to have your face in the same spot on the page and then just change all the backgrounds and then have it flash, hashtag, sound, lights, legal, you know, <laughs> create an ad. <laughs> so while I haven't quite created that ad yet, I did start that hashtag. So sound, lights, legal is my hashtag on Instagram if you're looking for me. But that's where that whole thing started, man. Well, I got to tell you, the first couple ones, I'm thinking, literally, seriously, who is he pissed off at? I'm just thinking, like, what? what? You know, we, we had talked before then. You had been on the podcast a couple of times. I'm thinking, what's going wrong in that moment that he has this look on his face? So after you told I'm, me what it was, I just kept the frowning counselor. It just... <laughs> I'm mad at all the copyright infringement. I'm mad at injustice in the world. I'm fighting for you, the little guy. So that's, that's what I'm mad at. <laughs> oh, my God. John, it's always great having you on, man. Always, always, always. You are a breath of fresh air. I am very, very, you know, one of my favorite books, and I've read it since the eighth grade. I mean this with all my heart, was This Business of Music by Kraftlowski and can't remember the other guy's name but you know there's been several updates and then of course donald passman as you held up came along 
there was Kashif. I don't know if you knew about uh, Kashif's book before he passed away. Great yeah. producer. You know, so that, I think I would have been an entertainment attorney in another life, you know, but I just love production so much that I didn't go into it. But man, I really respect you. I will continue to recommend you and refer you to anyone who is in dire need and let them know you are the dude to see. Thank you so much for being my friend and let me pick at you at times. And uh, I will make sure that all of your contact information is in the description box below. But do you want to leave us with any last words? Was there anything you thought with well, Jerry? I know he's going to ask me this. He didn't ask me or there was some information that is pertinent to get out there. I want you to have that time to do that. I would love to tell everyone out there to keep writing because there is no substitute for a hit song and too many musicians wait for inspiration to strike instead of setting up a daily process we can improve every single day and so what i would encourage people to do is to write every single day now i don't take that advice personally because i have a lot going on but that's an excuse and a limiting belief i need to write every day just like you need to write every day so i need to practice you need to practice if you're writing then you're producing, then you're pitching for ads, TV, and film, then you're making revenue, then you're making a living, then you can quit your day job and you can just do this. I would encourage people to, to recognize that if you plan it, you have a system and a process and you write every day, then you can make it in this business. Absolutely. That is wonderful advice, man. Thank you so much again. And uh, we'll do it again and again and again, okay? I'm happy to be here, man. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure. You're a fun guy to talk to. And I laugh every time I get a text about being <laughs> frowning counselor. So it's, it's really a pleasure. I love you so much. And I, I hope too. that your fans uh, get so much out of this. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, this is attorney John Shio. I told you we're going to have fun. He is the most knowledgeable guy I know. And he's right down the street. I'm in Youngstown. He's in Cincinnati. So you will benefit from having a conversation with him. You will see his information in the description box. Make sure you avail yourself to it. And uh, that's what it's about. It's about being an entrepreneurial musician. And that's who we are. My name is Jerry B. I say it all the time. I am the entrepreneur musician, but the most important thing, so are you. So let's go get it. God bless. See you next time.